when the data is seamlessly shared throughout all the touch points and channels, people just get experiences that are tailored to their needs, but they get that information and ability to buy or interact with the brand anywhere. And um, I think it's just a really interesting time for um, blended experiences right now because the data is finally giving us the opportunity for more seamless experiences. Hey everyone, welcome to the final episode of the CX Insider podcast for 2022. Today we talk to Yasmin Borain, Chief Experience Officer at Tribal Worldwide, the total experience agency who create personalized brand experience ecosystem. In this episode, we explore emotion design, its applications for customer journeys, and how emotion design can build blended customer experiences in retail. Enjoy the episode. If you do, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel for access to the best content that CX Insider can offer. By the way, this podcast is brought to you by ACF Technologies, global leaders in customer experience management solutions. They provide tailored solutions for the world's biggest organizations, for queue management, appointment scheduling, event booking, and much more. Check the link in the description if you want to find out more. Okay, so... We should probably start with introduction. We always do this at the beginning. So would you like to introduce yourself? Or could you tell us something about who you are and your career journey? Yeah, no, of course. So I think where to start is I have actually wanted to be an artist since I was two years old. Um, so I was that child that was just drawing on anything that I could find. And um, for my BA, I did, well, my parents encouraged me to study graphic design. So instead of you know, studying art. Um, I went into graphic design. And then after that, I actually um, studied for my MA. And that's when I moved to San Francisco and I lived there for 12 years. And what I think is just really interesting is that in my master's program, because I truly believe that anything that you can imagine, you can create. So while in my master's program, other people were just building websites, I was exploring how to merge like the physical and digital worlds. I wanted our environments to like adapt and flex to our conversations. And so I spent about 18 months building a smart and connected space that it kind of really, that experience, I guess, kind of redefined who I was as a creative thinker. Um, and after that, I went into the agency world and I just haven't left. So in San Francisco, I worked with some really great brands like Nike and Philips at RGA and McCann. And then I moved to the UK where I just continued to work with other great brands like Bang & Olufsen, Burberry, British Airways. And fast forward to today, um, I'm at Tribal where I'm the chief experience officer and I look after the CX and EX practice. Cool. So um, you did your master's in graphic design as well? I did my master's in um, computer arts in what used to be called multimedia design. Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. Um, so you said that you were always drawn to art since you were a little child, and then you decided to do to go into graphic design. What actually made you to choose like a bit of the more commercial side of art? To put it this way, <laughs> um, you're asking all the great questions. So my <laughs> um, my grandfather um, was an artist um, from when he was like 30 to what, the day he died, and my parents wanted me to follow in that footsteps because I had the talent, but they wanted me to make money. So um, so it was that's why I said it was my parents that encouraged me. I would have gone and become an illustrator, but they encouraged me to go that route. And I'm so glad they did because it just explore, it just opened up a different way to express, um, you know, what I was thinking in a new format. 
Mm-hmm. And right now you're you're at Tribal, you're a chief experience officer. How would you evaluate the journey there in that company? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's why I always start with kind of like where my master's degree is because I think that when um, a lot of times when people look at designers and there's so many different shapes and sizes of designers, it's really about the way that we solve problems. And I feel very lucky that in my journey throughout my career, that whether it was at RGA working on Nike Innovation or whether it was working with the Singapore team on Philips or whether it was working on charity, you know, like Boys and Girls of America, or even here working with, you know, the different brands. It's just, I've been on this amazing journey to solve problems, you know, and I feel very lucky that the the people I work with, it wasn't just about come up with the best idea. It was really about how do we solve a problem? How do we make it meaningful? How do we impact lives and influence brands to do so as well? Mm-hmm. So I guess we can dive into today's main topic. And first, I think it's good to define what do you actually mean by emotion design? I know that it's your like area of specialization and you're very passionate about it. Emotional design is, is, is not a new topic at all. And emotions have always been really key because we as humans, like we make our decisions based on our emotions. And I think sometimes even more than we'd like to admit, <laughs> but um, most people would describe emotional design as creating products that people love. But this targets only emotions in a one dimensional way. And so for us to really design like moments that matter and last, we need to experiment with an emotional lens that is multi-layered because we're multi-layered as humans. So today I think that emotional design isn't about creating products that people love. It's about creating experiences around people. And what I mean by this is like experiences that understand our emotional states and cultural contexts as well. They recognize people. Um, and their experiences that really look, I think, underneath the surface and they design with compassion and curiosity. And so when we do that, that's when we connect people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or connect with people. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So this approach, how do you actually build it into the CX strategies and customer journeys? How is this implemented? People's emotions actually should be considered throughout the entire design process. Uh, but I think a lot of times people only consider it when they have like a final product or a product that they're, or service that they're testing. And so, for example, when you look at like the discovery and like a defined phase, when you're unlocking the right problem to solve, you need to not only understand, you know, customer needs and behaviors and motivations, which we're at this point pretty good about kind of getting that data, but we also need to look at that emotional lens. And it's important to not guess, you know, a lot of times when people, you know, sometimes people do look at emotion, but they make a guess and it's important not to guess, but also important to map the emotions and tie those to customers' actions and their mindset so that you can then identify where the biggest pain points and opportunities for change are. And then another area is like when you're looking at concepting, you need to remind yourself of that, of how people feel and why. And in that kind of in those beginning stages, that research that you had, and also look to how you want them to feel. For instance, you know, an example that I like to give a lot is like if you're book if you're working on a booking experience for a, a train company, some people traveling will be traveling for a stage, a, a stag do. And so they'll be in celebration mode 
while others will be traveling due to you know, a death in the family, which is a very different emotion. So what we need to be mindful of is the variety of emotions so that we can create the right experience for individuals as well as groups. Yeah, I'm interested in what kind of emotions are you looking at? Because as you just mentioned two examples, and based on that, how do the journeys differ? Because when somebody needs to make a booking online, I guess it looks the same for everyone, right? Or how how does this make this an impact? And I think this is where, this is a great question, by the way, and I just spoke at South by Southwest about this, and we were doing workshops with people. And it's not about always designing for all the different emotions. It's about especially, and that's why I loved your question about when do you, it's about identifying in the beginning when you're solving for a problem, identifying what emotions people have, and then realizing how you need to flex. So for example, with the train, if you have, you know, you don't have information about why people are traveling on the train, then then maybe you just have like an experience that doesn't necessarily celebrate or provide that, you know, you just act human. But say you have some information because um, you realize the stack do, then you can even add little moments of celebration. Or if someone's, you know, um, um, family member has died, then maybe you can offer them an extra coffee or tea or um, place them in an area in the train where maybe that much noise isn't so they can be on their own. So it's being mindful of those and, and the emotions that we use. So we look to, we're, we're not recreating emotions. Like I said, we emotions, um, psychologists have like studied, you know, for years. So a lot of times what we do is just give, um, you know, the designers the emotional wheel. And it can be confusing because there are multiple ones, but if you look at just the core emotions, you kind of look at those and just make sure to identify those and be aware of that and then leverage that like I said not just in the upfront research because what you're trying to do is in some cases is is think about how you can um, relieve someone of pressure or make a situation less stressful or calming so um, it's it's what we do is we use those emotions just the, the mm-hmm. emotions that um, that are have been identified for years mm-hmm. yeah I guess the tricky part is to find out how the customers actually feel or what's going on in their lives, right? And and that's what's fantastic that you yeah. said is because that's why what is so important is that you talk to real customers, that you go out and do surveys with real customers, um, because that's where we get that lens of mm-hmm. like why, and the why is just as important uh, as the feeling or the emotion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I go back to the example of booking um, a train, for example, and to find out you think it's worth maybe to ask them like for a reason to travel or to kind of for how are you how do you find if I can ask ask yeah so I think this is this is where if you look at like you know just even like um I'll 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 give an example of finance so um you know when we did a payment in the past you normally would never ask like why you're making a payment mm-hmm. but what's beautiful is some of these more modern kind of um you know, um, banking apps and stuff. Now, when you do a payment to someone, you can add an emoji or you can, you know, you can add, so this is what's happening is that there can be these small little things that we can add into the systems or into the experiences mm-hmm. to actually add that. So I think when it comes to booking experience, does every booking experience need to include um, asking people? No, at the end of the day, we still need to, it, to be useful, quick and easy, but there might be a question there just to provide a little bit more of that connection with people. Mm-hmm. And some people might ignore it, some people might engage, and that's where you can then have a, a more emotional connection with the customer um, at that point. 
Now that we've explored the world of emotion design a little and learnt how Yasmin uses it to create more customer-centric journeys, let's jump over to functional brands and see how they can also benefit from emotion design. One, I think what's really important is it is really easy and simple. Um, it's just, first of all, don't jump to conclusions or solutions right away and understand how people feel and why, like we just talked about. And it's every brand today has to meet both functional and emotional needs. Um, and when they do that, then we have truly more meaningful experiences. And one of my favorite examples here to, to talk about a functional brand that actually used emotion to create a better example, a, a better um, experience is Google Maps. So, mm -hmm. you know, most people would look at Google Maps as very functional. You know, it gets me from A to B. Um, they did some research um, with commuters and that they saw that many people, especially in big cities, were really stressed when commuting. And through that research, they then, to relieve stress from our daily, you know, and, and overcrowded commutes, which we know in London, I, I think mm -hmm. any of us that travel um, are quite aware of that, you know, stress. Um, they added this feature that's called um, crowded crowdedness predictions, I think. Yep. But before you start your journey, you can now predict how crowded a bus, a train, you know, a tube will be based on previous journeys. So based on that data, and this is a great example of a brand that I think most people would think is quite a functional brand, mm -hmm. but how Google evolved their existing functional experience to take in more emotional needs of people to relieve that pressure. And so again, this goes back to what we talked about before, is that if in this case, if we only looked to bring joy, we would have create, they would have created a different experience. But because they did the right research, they understood that what was happening is that there were stress levels that were quite high and, 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 and intense. And then what they were able to do is then what their goal from an emotion was relieve pressure, right? So that people can have more calming or enjoyable or yeah. you know commutes. And so I just find that example so good to kind of showcase the importance of bringing emotion into your design process, but also making sure that the concept and the idea that you come still stays functional, but adds that emotional kind of connection to people. That's the thing is that people think that these, these changes are made to just for fun, but what they're actually affecting is how you feel. And that at the end of the day is, is what actually makes people come back to Tesco or, or yeah. reuse the Google experience, right? Moving on to our next topic, let's talk about blended experiences. Research shows that many customers still prefer to visit a store, even if they can purchase online. This implies that blended retail experiences truly do have a place, but what actually are they? And why does Yasmin believe they are so important? Blended experiences are, you know, that connect, connected ecosystem and journeys across human, physical, and digital touch points. And I think it's really important, you know, to first remember that because there's that human interaction, there's that, you know, physical and digital, and those all become important. Like people just want to effectively, effectively shop anywhere at any time. And what happens is that, you know, the store experience today 
is less about that kind of product in hand, let me look at it. And it's more about that entertaining and engaging people with like emotional and sensory experiences. And that doesn't mean that they don't go in and look at the product, but most people have looked at the product online. They've, you know, they know something about it. And I think that's where stores have become these environments with multiple modes. So whether a customer wants to just pick up an item or they want to explore or create or learn, and the power of blended means that the experience can start before they even step into the store, but it doesn't have to end there. So once they leave, the experience continues as well. And I think that's what's just really interesting and what, to your point earlier about what makes it attractive as well, is that when the data is seamlessly shared throughout all the touch points and channels, people just get experiences that are tailored to their needs, but they get that information and ability to buy or interact with the brand anywhere. And um, I think it's just a really interesting time for um, blended experiences right now because the data is finally giving us the opportunity for more seamless experiences. Yasmin has mentioned data and the key role it plays in creating blended experiences and measuring customer responses. But which other technologies are essential and to what extent is technology inseparable from a good blended experience? Technology is huge and, and it allows us to be able to experience and create the things that we do. And I think it's a big part of um, what allows us even as a creative industry to help push brands to um, not only create these great experiences, but also think about their role beyond just selling products and services. And so creating these shared experiences, these living destinations that are you know, adaptable and flexible and can really um, kind of connect. I think a good example of, you know, without me trying to get into the techie, you know, talks of all, all the different um, technology and AI and, and all the opportunity, I think a really good example is Nike live concept stores. Mm -hmm. So Nike has created these live concept stores. Um, they are smaller in size but they focus on um, localization and community. And so they tailor um, those stores or tailored um, products and designs and community engagements to what people want in that area. So they have one, you know, like in California, there's one in Oregon, there's one in Tokyo. But when you start to look at them, they actually are meeting the needs of that location. Wow. And the one like in Tokyo is absolutely fascinating, especially from a tech perspective, because it's completely data driven. So because Tokyo is such a um, large um, area for like sports and there's a lot of sporting events, depending on when sporting events are in the city, then the data feeds in different needs that people are interested in. So then they change their stores depending on that need. Wow. And it's just fascinating because I think that that really is um, the kind of, you know, a great future vision mm. um, that is actually happening today. In a time of generally decreasing footfall in retail stores, the focus is shifting to creating memorable experiences that draw the customer in and draw them back, as opposed to just selling products. What advice does Yasmin have for retailers wishing to create blended experiences that take that step into the future? First, it, this is the most important, and it's probably not even the, just for blended experiences, but I think the most important is just don't jump to conclusion and solutions right away. Data and research will like help you solve for the right problems and unlock the right path forward. 
And this is the only reason why Nike is successful in the stores that I just talked about. They have invested time and, and, and effort into research and data. And I think that what happens a lot, and especially you know, for a lot of retailers, like you mentioned, the last two years have gone through some hard times. But I think what sometimes like during the hard times and during that, we always say that's when innovation can happen. Um, but I think what's important to remember is like, you know, businesses have to make cuts, they have to make changes, but those changes shouldn't be on jumping to solution faster. It shouldn't be to making assumptions like use your data, use your customers because they will give you the answers and then you will get there faster. You will save money, you will invest in the right areas and you will grow. I think to that as well, it's, you know, don't be afraid to experiment and fail. Like today, people don't expect um, retailers to have all the answers. They don't expect this like absolutely polished, you know, perfect answers. Like, you know, um, I saw something even the other day um, that someone had sent me with, um, I think it was Louis Vuitton, like, and this is like luxury, you know, and they had like painted the whole entire store lime green. And, you know, they're experimenting, they're, 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 they're trying to kind of you know, bring people in in different ways. And I think that that's the thing is don't don't be afraid to. Mm -hmm. And I think also don't be afraid to use your employees because employee experience nowadays, like you might not have the money to, to, to absolutely change your system right away or to, to leverage data, but in employees, like they are the face of your company. And the yeah. more that they believe in your brand, the more that they believe in your values, the more that they are empowered. Like, you know, one of my, favorite examples when it comes to um, employee experience is is Pret. So um, I was it was it was it was raining one day I was, um, you know, came inside, I think my umbrella had broke, you know, and um, they gave me a free coffee. And I was like, No, 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 I'll pay for it. It's fine. They had no idea that like my umbrella broke, you know, they didn't know anything. And I had no idea that mm. they were empowered to give a coffee away. And I just, I love that. It's not something that they shouted about. It's not something it's, they, their employees are allowed to give, you know, one or two, three things a day. And, and now that, and how that affects your customers. Like 100%. I did not buy coffee at Pret. It, the only reason why I bought coffee at Pret that day is because there was no other coffee store. I now feel such a connection to Pret because of that one thing and knowing that they empower their employees that way. So I think don't be afraid to leverage that employee yeah. experience and really look at that. And then the last thing is, is, you know, you know, look at your total experience. So we talk about this a lot, but I think that, you know, that is one thing that was so interesting about COVID is that there were these really interesting, unexpected partnerships that came up. Mm -hmm. And so like, look at your total experience, like embrace your external partnerships you know, really look at your employee experience, look at your customers and what they can bring to the table. You know, it's it's not all of, it doesn't all have to sit on you, look out to that ecosystem and look where they can kind of help so that it is a relationship that you're building. Let's say you're a retailer with 500 physical locations. Your area of expertise is more likely to be in the product itself rather than a blended customer experience and you capture all this data and feedback and information, but it can be difficult to properly measure and assess the success of your blended experience. How does one go about analyzing the performance of such projects? I think what's interesting though, where we are now, is that that question a lot of retailers actually asked 
um, two to three years ago. So, you know, while I don't love the buzzword, but digital transformation, and it's not just about digital, but that's kind of just what is transformation, right? Business and digital transformation. And I think a lot of retailers started asking that two or three years ago. And so a lot of times now within um, companies, they have started to kind of bring in leaders. And we know from working at agencies and stuff, it's not like you can consult out and someone else can fix your problems. It is, you know, everyone involved. I think what happens though with organizations still is that they work in silo. The way that they have from a business structure been set up, you know, there is a marketing department that does X. There is a transformation. There's, they're still working in silos. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things, like I, I think, I think most bigger retails, now smaller retails is a different story, but you brought up the example of like, you know, a more yeah, like larger five, size something like 500 stores. Yeah. yeah. I think most of them have started the journey a few years ago. I think, that you know there are things you know with covid and other stuff that that brought different types of challenges um and needs but i think one of the biggest things is that they are still working in silos internally right. and that's where i think it's great that when you started the question you asked about like tribal is like that's why we so um you know we have a proposition that we've had for three to five years about total experience and why that is so important is that it looks at the customer experience it looks at the employee experience, but it also looks at all the organizational enablers. That is your systems. Mm -hmm. That is everything behind the machine that makes the customer experience come to life, but more importantly, make your business growth. So because without business growth, you won't have customer okay. experience, right? But I think that that's where, and that's where like things like service design have become really important in the last few years, even though it's been around for years, is that, you know, in order, like you can't, just look at the front end anymore and look at the experience. You have to look internally, look within your business and organization and really understand how things can be integrated and connected. So like you mentioned data, a lot of those larger retailers have tons yeah. of amazing data and in certain areas, they're doing great things with that. But what's happening is that it's not going across their entire business, their ecosystem. So like, that's what they need to start to kind of look at. Where are we, you know, successful in, in, in gathering data? Where do we have our gaps? How do we make sure that across the business, everyone has like a point of reference for our vision and our strategy? And so I think, you know, it's, it, it's complicated, you know, and there's no one size sure. at all either because it, it depends on how, you know, um, you know, the businesses run, depends on how the departments are connected. It depends on so much stuff. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Why not subscribe to our YouTube channel for access to full-length videos, clips of chapters, and also YouTube shorts for our best moments. If you want to join our growing community of thought leaders, head over to LinkedIn and follow us at CX Insider Podcast to stay updated. Thanks again, and I'll see you in two weeks. But for now, enjoy our rapid-fire questions. By the way, this podcast has been brought to you by ACF Technologies, global leaders in customer experience management solutions. So my first question is, who's your favorite artist? Oh, easy. My grandfather, Herman Geiger. Hmm. What's your favorite brand? Oh, oh, um, favorite brand. I don't have a favorite brand. I'm, I'm a little bit, um, the reason why I don't is because I think um, this is just like, so I love to travel and people always ask me my favorite country. I've, I've gone to lots of countries and I try not to have favorites because I think that once I have a favorite,
then it allows me to not kind of really understand or explore what else is around. So for me, mm -hmm. if I picked one brand, I'm giving mm -hmm. a long answer, but if I picked one brand, then I feel like, um, you know, one that I'm not evolving, but they're not evolving either. So mm -hmm. I'm just, I can't pick a brand, sorry. No, I get it. It makes sense. What's the strangest food you've ever eaten? Oh, I love trying um, different foods when I go to different countries. And even though I don't, um, I'm a pescatarian, so I don't eat meat, I still. So I think one of the um, weirdest thing I ever tried was duck's tongue. But one of the weirdest that I enjoyed the most was um, um, there is a Japanese restaurant that I loved in San Francisco. And I used to always tell them to give me anything to try. And there is a fish that you eat the cheek muscle and it's delicious. And so that was probably the most interesting thing I've eaten that I enjoyed. <laughs> That's super interesting. Okay. And last question. What did you want to become when you were a child? The only thing that I've ever wanted to become was an artist and a brain surgeon. Um, so those were the only two things. I've never switched away from that. Wow. Um, and what I think is really interesting is, so I love, I love um, the human brain and like I love studying people. And I think it's really interesting where I've ended my customer experience perspective it gives that side of creativity, but gives that side of like understanding people.